coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy Thursday to you. I wasn't even going to do a show today. Uh, I'm actually, as you're hearing this, I should hopefully, knock on wood, have arrived in New Orleans uh, where I'm going to spend a four-day weekend. Uh, haven't seen like my, my best buddy Daryl in quite a while. Uh, my, uh, my Marine friend, Michael just moved there. Uh, no, we don't have a Marine base in New Orleans, but they do have recruiting stations all over the country. So I uh, haven't seen him. I have not met his cat, Sir Gray Goose. And you know, I love cats and this cat's a cutie. So, um, yeah, it's just, you know, I, I don't have a whole lot of work to do. We don't have softball this weekend. I told myself, get to New Orleans, go do something. And that's what I'm going to do. But uh, I was gonna I was gonna give you a best of episode today, and then uh, you know I don't exactly keep a calendar of what Donald Trump is doing on my calendar. But damn that town hall last night, am I right? Holy cow! I, I, you would think after seeing him on the scene since when did he announce twenty fifteen? You would think for the last eight years we'd be prepared for what he does unscripted and only prompted by the actions of others. Eh, my God. And if I'm Fonnie Willis this morning, I awake with a smile on my face because Donald Trump last night handed her evidence, new evidence like... Are you asking him to find I you 11,000 you owe me votes. votes because the election was rigged. That's what he alleges he said to Brad Raffensperger. I mean, that's admission of a corrupt intent right there. The perfect phone call doesn't sound so perfect now. And I have plenty to say about CNN even doing this, choosing Caitlin Collins to host this town hall, or, or did Donald Trump have say in who was chosen? Let, let's first focus on him and the shovel he brought onto the stage, his mouth that just kept digging more holes for him. We have a lot of questions about the economy and foreign Good. policy tonight, but, but what you just said there, Republican officials debunked those claims about fraudulent ballots. We want to give you a chance Who? tonight. Who? Republican officials Who? in Georgia uh, and every single state. Uh, there is no, your own election officials, Mr. Look, President. Uh, so we wanted to give you a chance. We're afraid to take on the issue, but we have a big problem in this country. We have we, we wanted elections, to give you a chance to we have elections that were horrible. If you look at what happened in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, if you look at what happened in Detroit, Michigan, if you look at what happened in Atlanta, millions of votes. And all you have to do is take a look at government cameras. You'll see them. People going to 28 different voting booths to vote, to put in seven ballots apiece. So, Mr. President, and they're all I have to camera. stop you there because, because there is no evidence of that. Your own election <laughs> officials testified to that and have said that Republicans in these states did this. In Georgia, there were multiple recounts, including a hand recount. This headline from The Guardian, March 17th, 2023, about a month and a half ago, a little more than that. Trump's own research showed that voter fraud did not cost him election, according to a report. That's the headline. The report commissioned by Trump's own campaign debunked Donald's claims that ballots came from dead voters. That's his own people. That's what Caitlin Collins is saying. Your own officials told you there, there was no fraud, sir. You lost. He just refuses to accept it from anyone. Left, 
Center, CNN, Fox. He refuses to accept Dominion. He refuses to accept that. His own people tell him he refuses to accept it. Again, I'll remind you, he is the leading candidate for his party's nomination in 2024. It's just breathtaking. I'm sorry. It's just breathtaking. As was this exchange on the heels, like, I mean, 24 or so hours after he was found liable for defamation and sexual battery in the E. Jean Carroll case, this exchange... Trial. There was a tape deposition of you from October in it. You defended the comments that you made on that Excess Hollywood tape about being able to grab women how you want. Do you stand by those comments? I said if you're famous and rich or whatever I said, but I said if you're a star, uh, you are, and I said women let you. I didn't say you grip. I said women let. You know, you didn't mm. use that word, but if you look, women let you. Now, they said, will you take that back? I said, look, for a million years, this is the way it's been. I want to be honest. This is the way it's been. I can take it back if you'd like to, but if you're a famous person, if you're a star, and I'm not referring to myself, I'm saying people that are famous, people that are you stars, were asked in the deposition, people that are rich, to be a star people that are powerful, yes. uh, they tend to do pretty well in a lot of different ways, okay? And you would like me to take that back? I can't take it back because it happens to be true. I said it's been true for one million years, approximately a million years, perhaps a little bit longer than that. So you stand by those comments. Well, I don't want to lie. Mr. Oh, President, we have what, a lot of Here's questions. what she wants Mr. to President, say. Let's a get to the audience rich and famous person tonight. has no advantage over anyone else. Well, you do have an advantage. And I say unfortunately, but that's the way it is. You said fortunately or unfortunately. Well, for- wow. What was that term he used? Uh, they tend to do pretty well in a lot of different ways, okay? Uh, by pretty well, does he mean sexual battery? That's pretty well. Hey, you're doing pretty well. Hey, look what you got in your hand there. You're doing pretty well, guy. Ugh. Thinking back to last night's episode of Ted Lasso, am I, am I spoiler alerting this too much? I mean, I hope not. The Wonder Kid. Uh, was invited to go out for a boys' night of bar hopping or drinking with his boss, Rupert. And, you know, he's got a girlfriend now, the girl he's been crushing on from the, the, the Greek restaurant that he's liked since the first season, right? So he tells the girlfriend, uh, going to hang out with the boss. He wants to have a boys' night out. And she's like, okay, that's cool. That's great. And, you know, on the surface, it sounds like a great thing, right? Except when he shows up and Rupert has a couple of women on either shoulder at the bar and they're about to go to the private room at this bar, all of a sudden he realizes, oh, hey, you're doing pretty well for yourself there, Rupert. Look what you got in your hand. Did you grab that? Is that what is that what Donald means by doing pretty well? Ugh. Found this exchange to be a bit concerning. Question from the audience was... Will you pardon the January 6th rioters who were convicted of federal offenses? I am inclined to pardon many of them. I can't say for every single one because a couple of them, probably they got out of control. But, you know, when you look at Antifa, what they've done to Portland, and if uh, you look at Antifa, look at what they've done to Minneapolis and uh, so many other... So many other places. Mm-hmm. Look at what they did to Seattle and BLM. 
BLM. Many people were killed. These people, I'm not trying to justify anything, but you have two standards of justice in this country. Well, I mean, he's right. There are two standards of justice in this country, but well, and, and actually there's probably more than that, but I could, I could say rich v. poor. Like, I don't know many folks who uh, earn less than, I don't know, say half a million dollars a year who could afford the sort of legal maneuvering that he has enjoyed since leaving office. Never mind the executive privilege of avoiding a lot of legal issues while in office. That's that's a different system of justice. There uh, is a different system of justice for heterosexual white folks, males in particular, and everybody else. But what two systems is he talking about? Is is he is he trying to tell us that uh, folks on the left don't don't get the the strong arm of the law thrown at them? Eh, sorry, my man, but people of color get stricter sentencing, harsher punishments, uh, sturdier police scrutiny. Hell, you could take it back to school, school discipline, scholastic discipline, harder on black boys than their counterparts but please cry me a river donald john trump born wealthy passed along obviously i I, listen i i don't have his don't have his school transcripts but i see what i see and i hear what i hear does that sound like somebody who just zipped right through school getting all a's and (laughs) <laughs> wowing his professors at college and being festooned with plaudits and praise? Or does it sound like somebody that got kind of pushed along because, hey, you know, that's so-and-so's son. and uh, They're kind of wealthy and there's a big check coming for that building we want, et cetera, and so on. You tell me, does Donald Trump sound like an intelligent person? Has he ever? Like, literally, has he ever? Go back to like those 80s clips when he's on Oprah Winfrey. And it's just funny how like back then we didn't notice how not smart he was. But he wasn't smart then either. He was just younger and more reserved. Can you believe that? Yeah, he was. He was slightly more reserved. Now he's just an old man who's been completely coddled. No one's ever stood up to him within his camp to tell him anything. He never got his ass whipped. That's really, as a child, did you think Donald Trump ever got got, got the belt? No, of course not. Every time I hear this man speak, I'm reminded, ironically, of Michelle Obama. Why? Well, she was uh, giving a talk, giving a talk once uh, where she offered a secret to young women. She said, uh, I have been at probably every powerful table that you can think of. I have worked at nonprofits. I have been at foundations. I have worked in corporations, served on corporate boards. I have been at G summits. I have sat at the UN. They're not that smart. Oddly enough, that quote's been rattling around in my head a lot lately, uh, mostly because I'm, I'm watching Succession, the final season of Succession on HBO Max. Or is it's... It, 
Are we just calling it Max now, or is that? Are we waiting until May twenty third? See, that's another dumb decision by people who we all think are smart people. I, I can relate to what she says. I have been in the room with super famous, talented people who really aren't all that smart. They they've got a gift, but and and they've had a lot of breaks, but they're not that smart. Donald Trump obviously ain't that smart. Unfortunately. There's like, I don't know, 40, 50 million maybe people in this country who are just as not smart, if not less not, I'm sorry, more not smart than he is, that they are smitten by everything about him, even though they can't actually relate to him in just about any tangible manner. All right, I promise we have more on the agenda for today's show than just Donald Trump. We're back in just a few minutes on The Ron Show. Thanks for listening on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or whatever podcast platform you do listen on. I appreciate that either way. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Thursday. Naturally, everybody who talks politics is talking about yet another Donald Trump town hall. We have been at this for going on eight damn years now, and we just can't quit that man. And when I say we, I, I, I mean the cable news networks, uh, us in the pundit sphere, Republicans obviously can't quit him. And so here we are, we're stuck with this scumbag, this liable for sexual battery. This guy is a sexual... Pre- like, he does, does he have to, like, report when he moves now? Does Mar-a-Lago wind up on the the, 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 the the Predator map or whatever? Does he have to report when he's within 500 feet of... You know? And he, right now, is the leading candidate for one of two preeminent nominations to be the President of the United States from 2025 to 2029. And and, and it's not like, uh, oh, well, you know, let's just give that a try. We did. It was a disaster. It was terrible. We grew the debt and deficit. We left that four-year term with a huge net loss in jobs, a pandemic we were ill-prepared for because we disbanded a pandemic response unit and scattered those employees across different departments instead of keeping them focused on the task they were put in charge of keeping an eye on. And I'm, I'm not saying that that's what caused COVID-19, but it certainly didn't help us be prepared for it. And it certainly didn't give us that pandemic response unit to snuff it out at the source. Even the one major thing we could all agree he might have gotten right. He managed to screw that. He, in fact, he brought that up. And let's talk about that. Uh, we were getting out of Afghanistan with strength and with dignity. What? And instead we got out, we looked like fools. Probably the most embarrassing President- moment in the history of our country. The most embarrassing moment in the history of our country. Hmm. I mean, there are some pretty embarrassing moments in the history of our country. I don't know that that's the most, I mean, it certainly didn't look good. It was a bad look. Not going to lie. Cannot, cannot argue that. But he, he said, he, he said, we, we had a plan to leave. What did he say exactly? How, how did it go again? 
Uh, we were getting out of Afghanistan with strength and with dignity. Okay, the strength of having removed uh, all but like a couple thousand of our troops and, oh, by the way, releasing 5,000 Taliban prisoners that immediately, almost to a man, went right back to the ranks within the Taliban. Strength and dignity, you say? He said a deadline that Joe Biden inherited that was obviously too close too soon, and no work had been done towards it because the prior administration was so fixated from mid-November to the end of that term, January 19th, 2021, in overturning the election. Strength and dignity? Man, listen, I get it. It's politics, and nobody likes to take blames for things, especially when it can make their opponent look bad. But there's not a rational mind out there that can look at all of the facts on the table and say, well, that was completely Joe Biden's blunder. And I'm not absolving Biden. He, he and his administration were in charge. They were obviously slow to come to some realities. And I'll even give them this little bit. We all know from experience ourselves as American citizens that the Pentagon had been feeding us a line of bullshit for about two decades out of Afghanistan. Oh, it's getting better. Oh, this government's coming together, y'all. Oh, listen, just a few more years, we're going to have this right. Just just give us a, 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 a keep that budget hefty. We, we're going to need it. Oh, this, this is all coming together so well. Oh, you, you know what? We're, we're going to be able to exit really soon. And, and I think Joe Biden came in and just said, enough is enough. Come on, man. You know how he says it. Come on, man. I think he just said enough is enough. I'm calling your bluff. You, you, you've you been telling us for 20 years that things are so rosy in Afghanistan. Well, well, damn, then we should be able to leave by now. And they were like, well, but. And he said, no, you've been telling us for 20 years things are good, so we're going to go. Uh, th- you know, this, 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 this plan has been hatched by the, the guy before me. I'm sorry that, you know, he released 5,000 Taliban soldiers and only left you with 2,500 men. Eh, what are you going to do? Why didn't you say something then? Did Biden put the foot on the gas a little bit? Well, I mean, you, you could say that, but he also got an extension from the Taliban. Like, they were supposed to be gone, like, May of 2021, and I think we got a, was it a three-month extension? We, we got an extension, and then he asked for another, he asked for another extension, and the Taliban said, no, no, y'all got to go. It's time to go. Time to go. And they were right. It's been long overdue time to go. No doubt about it. But we didn't have we didn't have an exit strategy. And listen, if Donald Trump would like to tell us that he had an exit strategy, well, surely you saved some documents, right? I mean, we know you saved some documents. Surely you saved some documents that proved that there was this exit strategy that was perfect. It was a perfect strategy. It was beautiful. It was going to work perfectly. Here's how it was going to show us, show us your homework, strength and dignity. My ass. Donald Trump is at least 60, 65% responsible for the way Afghanistan went down. I'll shoulder some blame on the Pentagon, actually maybe a good bit more on the Pentagon. And yes, the Biden administration did seem to be flat footed as everything went to hell in a handbasket in a matter of days. But they should have seen that coming. I mean, do the math. 
we got 2,500. We just released, released 5,000 Taliban troops. The Afghan military seems to be crumbling as we're watching. Hmm. We might want to recalibrate our action strategy here because what we had planned doesn't look like it's going to work. And it didn't. I mean, you know what? To a point, it actually did. Like, once things got messy, they got some things rolling and got hundreds of thousands of people out in a matter of days. 124,000 or so, right? I mean, it was pretty incredible once they got their act together. Trump gave us the greatest hits, you know, energy independence, what else? Inflation, all, all these things that are, are issues, the, the, the immigration cry, all these things that, as president, you'd have thought if he had done such a damn good job in his first term that these wouldn't still be problems, but they're still problems. More of the greatest hits, you know, Antifa and Portland and Seattle and Atlanta. And it's just, oh, God. He has the intelligence of that curmudgeonly relative of yours. You see every Thanksgiving and Christmas who just sits on his ass and watches Fox News all day. And you don't want that man being president. And yet, here we are again. Follow The Ron Show on Twitter at RonShowATL. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Yesterday, I played a good bit of audio from the Democrats from the Georgia House and Senate, the uh, contingent that called for a special General Assembly session to come to the table and discuss some tangible measures to stem the epidemic that is mass shootings in this country. We're not that far removed from the Midtown shooting last week. We're not that far removed from the Atlanta spa shootings last year. And as we have seen in Texas, a state, I like to say is a wash in guns. They always put an R in their words, a wash. States are washing guns. It's a very gun-friendly state. We're, we're waiting for that point in time, the apex that's supposed to happen when, uh, as, as gun rights ad, uh, advocates say, more guns means more safe. We're waiting for that to happen, and it's just, it's not happening. Anyway, Texas is the most permissive gun state in the country. I mean, it's, it's hard to argue that there's another state more permissive than Texas. And yet Texas has had more than its share of mass shootings of late. So Georgia and many other southern red states want to follow their lead and be as permissive as Texas. And Democrats in the House and Senate are rightfully concerned about the trajectory we're on. We don't want to be like Texas, man. Sorry, we don't. And I'm not talking about frozen power grids. I, I'm, I'm talking about mass shootings. There have been a lot of mass shootings. A lot. In Texas alone. Pull up one of those... Mass shooting maps. Texas is, uh, there's a lot of dots on the map in Texas. And so, on the heels of Georgia Democrats calling for a special session, and by the way, what the hell's the harm in the special session? Just call it. They had like more than a dozen, I want to say 16 or so measures. We're talking Safe Storage Act, 
talk to me. What is so divisive about a Safe Storage Act? What's so divisive about that? I mean, we call special sessions or we push hastily written laws to protect kids from falling in swimming pools, but we can't have a Safe Storage Act to keep kids from finding Nana or Papa's gun and playing with it and blasting little Timmy's head off. Oops. We were just playing. I didn't know. Usually screaming and hysterics, uh, obviously because little Timmy just got his head blasted off on accident. We, we can't call a special session for that. Brian Kemp, when asked about the Democrats calling for this special session, told WSBT television. Marty and the girls and I are continuing to pray for the families that were affected, the loss of life is horrific. I think there's a lot of politicians posturing right now, which is unfortunate. Uh, what I'm doing is continuing to gather the facts on this individual and what are the circumstances as to why this happened. The dude that had a TV commercial where he's sitting in a barco lounger next to a teenage boy with a rifle pointed towards the boy wants to talk about posturing, y'all. Democratic Representative House Minority Leader James Beverly yesterday with these strong words. I say to the Republican leadership who currently control the State House, the State Senate, and the Governor's Mansion, lead, don't hide. To add insult to injury, the day after these tragic events happened, Georgia's governor of this great state cut funding to mental health by millions of dollars. During the 2023 legislative session, Democrats proposed 16 bills to reduce gun violence. Not one, not one was given a vote. We're calling for a special legislative session to consider the following bills. HB 44, universal background checks. Which according to a Fox News poll, 87% of the country is for. HB 135, you can applaud. HB 135 and 161, safe storage bills. Common sense. It's just common sense and infringes on no one's rights. HB 584, the Georgia Red Flag Protective Order Act. Right. Would have prevented the Colorado shooting if the local sheriff had been using it. And last but certainly not least, I would have to throw in HB uh, 19, the state budget. We need to look at what he just did with those 33 pages of cuts. These common sense measures are proven policy solutions to curb gun violence. It is no surprise that a strong bipartisan majority of Georgians support the passage of these gun safety bills. Gun violence affects communities of all over this great state, which is why we need our leaders to lead and put the, li- the lives of Georgians before politics. This is why we're calling for a special legislative session. I mean, I didn't hear Representative Beverly talk about an assault weapons ban, a gun buyback program. I, I, I didn't hear anything radical. I just heard some common sense stuff. And by the way, Republicans are talking a lot. Of course, they always do after these mass shootings. Oh, we got to do something about mental health. Well, yeah, we, we, we got to restore the funding you guys keep cutting. We we gotta we gotta fully fund mental health, health care. 
We've got to deal with the things that are causing folks to snap. The pressures of living in a society where the take-home pay doesn't keep track of the cost of living because of wage suppression and the inability to collectively bargain. You want to deal with crime? We all do. Locking people up isn't the answer. I mean, we've been trying that for quite a while now. That's not the answer. Because then we let them out, and they can't get a job because they've been locked up. And when they can't get a job because they've been locked up, what else are they supposed to do to put food on the table? Becomes a situation of necessity. Or when you are so marginalized that you live in an area where the only good work you can get is from some local gang drug syndicate. I'm getting off on a tangent. This this is about a governor who wants to act like he's got swagger and that he's tough because he talks tough. Got that accent and that strong jaw and those beady eyes until he needs to be soft. And then it's Marty and the girls. We're praying. Listen, I'm not a religious person, so it's easy for me to say the prayer part's not working. Who was it Did we just hear over the weekend that the use of thoughts and prayers actually diminishes and mocks? It was uh, Reverend Warnock. Reverend uh, Senator Raphael Warnock said that last week, that the instant rejoinder about thoughts and prayers is an insult. It, it, it demeans prayer. I'd never heard it framed that way, but he's absolutely right. I was talking to somebody about this. Who was it? Oh, my friend Andrew and I were, he had posted something on Facebook about uh, some some douche nozzle on a bike with um, three flags on his bike. Uh, one was an American flag. Uh, the, the other one was like some sort of like, I'm a Christian flag. And the other one was a let's go Brandon flag. And he's like, uh, how does the being a Christian jibe with let's go Brandon, which we all know what that means. It, it means, you know, Joe Biden. He's, he's like, how do those two jibe? They don't, they don't, but there's just a solid lack of self-awareness amongst that kind of people. They don't get it. And it really, again, I, I'm I not religious in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I grew up in the Baptist church. I grew up in a small, tight-knit community. We had three churches. We had the Baptist church, the Methodist church. I'm sorry. Yeah, we had three churches. The Baptist church, the Methodist church, and the other Baptist church that split from the original Baptist church. <laughs> we were a pretty Protestant town. Like, Grovetown didn't even have a Catholic church at the time. I do not believe. No, we didn't. Didn't have a Catholic church. And I know we had uh, a Jehovah's Witness church a little further out of town. And uh, if you were Mormon, you went to the Mormon church in Harlem. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah, it was a, two Baptist churches and a Methodist church in Grovetown. So I, I grew up in a, a, a community that was mostly white and suburbanish and Protestantish. I was married into a family where my father-in-law, still to this day is a Pentecostal minister. And yet I'm not religious. My point is, it really pisses me off 
it, it really pisses me off because I know so many people who are and who have strong convictions about their faith in God, uh, their faith in Jesus Christ, and, and I see them being used by a political movement. And it's so hard to deprogram someone who gets latched onto by this movement and sucked into believing everything, lock, stock, and barrel. Of course, except for the part where they have to ignore the grab him by the guy because he is somehow delivered to us by God, despite being about the most deeply flawed human being in American political circles since I don't know when. So yeah, it really pisses me off to see folks who are being used as voting pawns by a movement, and their fears are used to propel a gun manufacturing boom, the threat of crime, the threat of (laughs) these uh, immigrant caravans, the threat of, I don't know, the purge. And, and and there are those enthusiasts who like to fire an AR-15. They like to take it to the to the practice range. And to that, I would say, okay, that's that's your thing. That fine, that's your thing. But those were designed for war initially, and now they're just being mass produced and sold at Gander Mountain, and it's a problem because anybody can get one, dude. Even Texas. Texas earlier this week passed a measure raising the age for someone to purchase a gun to 20. Texas, y'all, we can't have a special session here in Georgia just to consider a safe storage law? Governor Kemp wants to point the finger at Democrats here in Atlanta and say they're posturing? They're pandering? To who? To the majority of people that Definitely want universal background checks. One of the bills that Representative Bell, uh, Beverly pointed out. Well, I mean, that's that's what elected officials are supposed to do. What the majority wants. It's not on a whim. There's plenty of evidence to point to the need for sturdier universal background checks on all gun purchases, private or public. Who, who, is, who is Governor Kemp going to lose support from by allowing that special session and even potentially getting behind a safe storage act so that kids aren't playing and find a gun and accidentally shoot little Timmy from down the street? What voter peels off because of that, Governor? I'm just curious. What, what voter peels off supporting the GOP by expanding towards universal background checks on all persons. I just don't understand. I, I don't understand. Is who, who? Who do you lose? The, I need my gun because it makes me feel like a badass. That type? 
do we really want them voting anyway? You're still going to win in deeply red counties and in mostly red states. I, I just, I don't, I don't understand this, this notion that Democrats are posturing while Mr. Campaign Trail in blue jeans in the rocking chair next to the teenager in his campaign video with a gun in his lap pointed at the kid just in case he even thinks about looking at one of Marty's girls the wrong way. That guy? That guy has the stones to talk about somebody else posturing? Get out of here. No, actually, don't get out of here. Stay here. Call a special session. Let's get some common sense laws passed. Will it solve America's gun epidemic? Will it cease it to exist here in Georgia? Absolutely not. But universal background checks, a waiting period, safe storage laws, it'll say these three measures right there will save lives. Can't prove it, but it will save lives. More Ron Show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. Welcome back to the Ron Show, final segment for Thursday. Appreciate you listening, uh, whether it be on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or in podcast platforms. We've got the show on all of those bad boys, so you can listen uh, SoundCloud or any of the major podcast platforms. Got the links for you at RonShowATL.com. Jonathan I will be at the Carter Center on May 17th. Hang on, that is next Wednesday uh, at 7 p.m. to talk about his biography on Dr. Martin Luther King, entitled King, A Life. Uh, he'll have that uh, conversation with uh, moderator Valerie Jackson, again, at the Carter Center, 7 p.m., next Wednesday, May 17th. I need to see if I can be there myself, because I kind of want to hear this conversation. Uh, the reason I want to hear this conversation is because he had some pretty revealing, uh, eye-raising... Uh, I'm looking. Yeah, I'm free. I'm going. <laughs> some pretty eye-raising findings uh, in talking with some folks who um, are still alive but may not, you know, be alive much longer. Uh, The likes of Andrew Young, for example. Uh, Among the darkest discoveries, this in an article at theajc.com, by the way, among the darkest discoveries in this book, the revelation that Lyndon B. Johnson, President Johnson, was kept up to date on FBI Director Herbert Hoover's relentless campaign to undermine Martin Luther King Jr., but LBJ did nothing to stop it. President Johnson apparently enjoyed gaining the upper hand that Herbert Hoover's hotel room wiretaps gave him in dealing with Dr. King, according to author Jonathan Icke. The article goes on to say, in the meantime, Hoover's public statements denouncing King provided cover for those who would do King harm, convinced that they were carrying out the will of the top law enforcement chief in the land. Hmm. Hang on, I want to tell you who the reporter is writing this piece because there's a little Q&A involved uh, as well. That would be uh, Bo Emerson. Bo asked a pretty poignant question of Jonathan Eig, the author of this biography. If Johnson had told Hoover to back off, what would have happened? Jonathan Eig said, well, King might still be alive for one thing. 
And if King is alive, who knows what would have happened? Some of what he's trying to tell us about income inequality and fair wages and reparations sinks in and becomes law. Hmm. To me, what we see is one of the greatest relationships ever between a Democratic president and an activist is undermined by racism and paranoia by obsession over a man's sex life for no good reason other than their obsessions. It's a tragic chapter in American history that didn't have to happen that way, I said. This, the latest biography on Dr. Martin Luther King, again entitled King, A Life, uh, is available on Amazon, retailing for thirty-one fifty, and its author Jonathan Eig will be at the Carter Center again May seventeenth for a conversation at seven p.m. May seventeenth at the Carter Center with uh, Maynard Jackson's uh, surviving wife Valerie Jackson. Should be a pretty interesting conversation to have. My uh, American and civil rights history nerdy kind of self wouldn't mind having uh, that author on the show. And why not? I'll ask. Uh, A little more housekeeping. Uh, We talked yesterday at the start of the show about uh, the University of Georgia Athletic Department's decision not to attend a Champion Athletes Day June 12th uh, of this year at the White House. The White House has said that, and a congressional delegation has been working to try and get a date for the University of Georgia football team to attend the White House. They say they've been shopping those dates for a while this year and haven't been able to come up with a common date. And so the most recent date offered, June 12th, in conjunction with other champion athletes from the collegiate ranks at the White House that day, that date apparently does not work with the University of Georgia. Now, we talked about this yesterday. The first excuse that the university gave was about the academic calendar. Well, that makes no sense because the summer session ends days before June 12th. June 12th, The only thing about June 12th on the calendar, I, th- I think, is that grades come out. You can be anywhere and get your grades. You don't have to be there on campus to get your grades. So that didn't wash. And then we got to speculating a little bit about, well, maybe this is just kind of one of those deals where after everything that happened January 15th, you'll remember the, the high-speed racing after a night out on the town and Devin Willick killed, Chandler LaCroix dies, driving, racing, uh, Jalen Carter racing, Chandler LaCroix. Yeah, so m- maybe there was just too much of a fresh, uh, you know, sting and, 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 and a pall and dark, cloud over the program that there was just no real interest at that point in going and things got the, you know a lot of speculation you're not going to get the whole story from either side about this but it, it seems funny to me like the university has sort of taken the tack that uh, they're actually disputing that the white house has said we've tried several different dates and none of the dates have worked the university's like no you haven't wait which is it and by the way What's the what's the point? Why are you making this political? And now it's come to the point where Kirby Smart has had to say the decision not to go wasn't political, that they just couldn't make it work, and that there's some big football camp with like six, seven hundred recruits that are going to be on campus in the days beforehand. And again, that doesn't add up because they're not there on June twelfth. It just. Yeah figure out a way to go, figure out a way to make it happen. My gosh, it's just oogie. 
does does Joe have to fly down here now and make a stop during during practice later this summer? I don't know. That's enough for today. I'm going to call it a wrap. Again, I'm in New Orleans. You may get a best of tomorrow. We'll find out together tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app at americaoneradio.com. Have a great one.